Islanders' first shootout win in six tries this season. I look at the New York Islanders and I say, do I want to play them in the first round? And the answer is no. I'm not so sure he's going to be back for the regular season. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 159. And to quote John Belushi from Animal House, nothing is over. Well, HockeyReference.com is listing the Islanders' playoff odds at 94.2%. But the Islanders still have not clinched a playoff spot with six games remaining. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday, and we will chat about the Islanders' playoff chances and how they are playing. And we will also have a chat with uh, the very fine hockey analyst, broadcaster, and former NHL goalie, Darren Pang. Also uh, bring you some audio of a chat I had with Kyle Palmieri. And of course, your questions for Andrew's answers. The Islanders are coming off a 2-1 shootout win over the Washington Capitals to open a three-game road trip that, by the way, was the Islanders' first shootout win in six tries this season. So maybe the Worms finally turning there. That gave the Islanders 87 points in 76 games. And as I I said, that upped their playoff chances to 94.2% with six games remaining in the regular season. However, on Thursday night, both the Penguins and Panthers who are also in this uh, sort of three-team chase for those two wildcard positions. Both the Penguins and Panthers keep pace with victories. The Penguins now have 84 points in 75 games, so they're three points back with one game in hand. And the Panthers, four points back at 83 points. They have played the same 76 games as the Islanders have played. And like I said... The chances are pretty good here that the Islanders are going to qualify for the postseason for the first time uh, under Lane Lambert, a first-year coach, and after missing last season, which uh, ultimately cost Barry Trotz his job and uh, elevated Lane Lambert. Um, However, uh, nothing is going to be easy, and you saw nothing was really ever easy with the Islanders, a 5-1 win over the Devils beforehand, uh, before going out on the road, notwithstanding that's uh, sort of the outlier, not the norm as to the way the Islanders play games. Everything seems to be a nip and tuck. Uh, One goal came here, uh, 2-1 shootout in Washington to start the road trip. The road trip gets tougher. Uh, The Capitals are not making the playoffs uh, this season. It gets tougher because on uh, Saturday night, There's a game against the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, who are, of course, the three-time Eastern Conference champions and uh, certainly playoff-tested and playoff-ready as they are locked into a first-round playoff matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then a short turnaround again, this one 23 hours, uh, on Sunday at 6 p.m., Uh, The Islanders have a face-off in Carolina against the Metropolitan Division-leading Hurricanes, and I believe uh, by Sunday the Hurricanes will still be in first. Uh, 
although the devils are uh, sort of breathing down their neck here uh, as the devils beat the Rangers, uh, although the Hurricanes are uh, uh, still in first place. And uh, if the Islanders finish with the first wild card spot and the, uh, the Hurricanes win the Metropolitan Division, that would be the first round playoff matchup for the Islanders. And then after uh, the road trip uh, ends, uh, a little bit of a break. Uh, you play on April 2nd on Sunday, and then you don't come back until uh, hosting the Lightning uh, on April 6th. And uh, the rest of the schedule, uh, I mentioned the uh, weekend back-to-back at the Lightning and the Hurricanes, and then you host the uh, the Lightning on April 6th on uh, February 8th. Uh, you host the Flyers, which I believe is Jerry Garcia night at <laughs> at UBS Arena. Definitely looking forward to a little Grateful Dead being played uh, at the uh, at the new barn. Um, and then another trip down to DC uh, on Monday, April tenth, and you finish up the regular season against the Canadians and. Uh, you don't necessarily know if it's going to go all the way down to the wire uh, or if the Islanders are going to be able to clinch and, uh, and uh, maybe uh, you know get a game or two of uh, a little bit of a, uh, a tension release there towards the end of the season. But, hey, the way things are going, uh, it probably may go down right until April 12th just to... Uh, uh, to make sure everything is A-OK as far as the playoff run. But again, 94.2% chance of making the playoffs at this point per HockeyReference.com. And uh, as I said, I chatted with Darren Pang, who is working for TNT and the NHL Network. Now you've seen him all over before that, you know, uh, uh, certainly on St. Louis Blues uh, broadcasts and uh, on ESPN. And uh, uh, Darren and uh, Darren's pretty much worked for for everyone, um, affectionately known as Panger, uh, a really, really good guy and uh, a really good analyst. And uh, we had uh, we had about fifteen minutes to chat about the Islanders. He called the Wednesday game uh, in Washington, and he was between the glass. So uh, I think he got a unique perspective on what the Islanders were doing. So we start there with his thoughts on the Islanders, and then we expand it to his thoughts on the NHL. So, Panger, you were down ice level for the, uh, the, the Caps and the Islanders, 2-1 shootout win for the Islanders in Washington on Wednesday night. And I, I just wanted to get your impressions what you saw from the Islanders last night, how that compares to maybe what you saw earlier in this season. And everyone's talking about these tweaks that Lane Lambert made. Where, where, where do you see that being most effective? Well, I, I honestly thought that uh, the absence of, uh, of Adam Pellick, I thought it really hurt the team. I mean, I, I think there's no coincidence that the, you know, the downfall of the team, both defensively and offensively, was when he went down. And I, I was actually doing the game in St. Saint, in Saint Louis when he got hurt. I believe it was Robert Bortuzzo behind the net. And I didn't think much of it at the time um, because Adam Pellick was kind of losing his balance and going, gotten kind of pushed by somebody else. And then Bortuzzo finished his check. And I'm thinking, well, it won't be that bad. And then, and then you, you know, you, you go down and you see just how, how significant it was. So, um so that'd be number one, because now you've got to ask certain players to step up a little bit and play different minutes and different roles. And it doesn't work, as we all know. I mean, everybody's got 
in their spot if you're going to be a good team. So um, that was number one. When he returned, I was actually closely watching it because Brendan Burke and I talk an awful lot about the, you know, about the teams because we worked together for TNT. And um, and I said, boy, is that, that Palak still out? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And I go, wow, do you guys ever miss him? And so, um, so for my level, you know, one of the things that, that I admire about the way they play is just how big their defense is. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of really big. Um, I think you can have one small shrub, but you, you can't have too many of them. You need, you need big redwood trees and that's what they've got. So um, the, the way that, uh, I don't know, the way they close gaps and the way they defend and the way their system's not overly complicated. I don't think anyway, I just, I just think they're, you know, they play in five man units and it's, it's hard to beat them on a stretch pass. Um, You've got to kind of take what they give you inch by inch by inch by inch. And, and if you have enough patience, maybe you'll have success. But that's that's probably what impressed me most at ice level was their gap closure, their sticks, the way they defended. And uh, and obviously the goaltender, whenever he got any shots whatsoever, he seems really sharp uh, without a without a lot of action, which is uh, kind of a rarity. It's not easy to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, he only three shots in the third period against Sorokin. I, I was going to going to get to him in a little bit but since you brought him up you you obviously you know you're a goalie why as a you know from a goalie's point of view why is Ilya Sorokin as good as he is you know there's the athleticism and the speed but to me he's he thinks the game very well I think but I, yeah, I, wanna... I would agree I would agree with you I would agree with you thinking the game is 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 uh is something you have to you have to have that ability to to have hockey sense Seems to me like he has that, um, and, and by me, by by t- talking about hockey sense, I, you know, I'll uncomplicate it. I, I mean, you've got a two-on-one break, and you know because you've either watched that player, you watch tendencies, you've 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 watched the the video of that player, um, you know that you know player A with the puck is a passer. You know, you know that um, as soon as he puts his head down or his stick on, on the puck, he's not shooting the puck. He's, he's making a pass no matter what. And, and so you have that ability to read, be patient and then move across. Um, that's good hockey sense. Uh, you know, defending against a, a one timer, the ability to get over uh, knowing it's a right or a left-hand shot and knowing it's a shooter or, or again, not a, not a hard shooter uh, or a very good shooter. So these are some of the intangibles that I think that a lot of the Russian goaltenders have, and they have, um, better than what the North American goalies have by and large. If you really look at all the, all the Russian goaltenders and how they've studied and how they work. And um, you know, the other, the other part about it is, is, is I, I'm impressed with his edge work. You know, it's, he doesn't seem to get, you know, get too far out of the net. He, he seems to have a really good ability to manage his net. So he's yeah. inside the posts and, um, you know, when you get a goaltender that, that swims outside the post on, on just a simple shuffle drill that leads to a, you know, on your knees and a kind of a pushing drill. And now all of a sudden, you know, your one leg is a yard outside the post. You're in trouble and you, you got a long way to go to come back. And I just never see that with him. I never seem to, seem to see him in, in any trouble whatsoever. So I, I'll use an old phrase from Marty Brodeur, who loved to say this, but he's got a great command of his crease. And, and yeah. I always love that saying because that means you're inside the post. And so um, even though he's not the biggest goaltender in the world, he's not going to overwhelm you with his size. He still is always in the middle, always on good angles and always seems to be in the right spot. And then there's, there's always obviously, you know, good feet. Uh, I think he's got a really good blocker side. In fact, uh, on the TNT game, Andrew, I, I mentioned that uh, 
he's got the dirtiest blocker I've seen. Like he doesn't <laughs> clean that thing, you know. Yeah. Um, th- there's goalies in the league, yeah, like Yarrow Halak. I, sw- I I swear he uh, he spray washes <laughs> it between periods to make sure that's the cleanest blocker in the world or or pads. Uh, but yet it looks like he's been wearing those pads for ten years and the blocker. So. Um, maybe it's a reminder to him of how many pucks have hit his pads and hit his blocker, but I got a kick out of that with uh, with all the fresh equipment that everybody else has. He's got the Jerry Cheevers of blockers, right? You know, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> hey, you, you brought up Adam Pellick and what his absence meant. The flip side is, obviously, you can't replicate what Matthew Barzell does for this team, but they are succeeding with, without Matthew Barzell. And, and I'm just curious why you think they've been able to withstand that and you know sort of in conjunction Bo Horvat has sort of his offensive production is dipped without Barzell because the two of them had developed such good chemistry in a short time and and, and Bo's production has gone down yet the Islanders go eight three and one in March and really have secured a, a wild card spot here. Well, I, I think there's there's a couple of ways of describing this, and this is nothing against uh, Matthew Barzell, but he plays a different game than anybody else on the team. And I think, you know, when when a player like that is out of the lineup, I do believe that from a coaching standpoint and from a team standpoint, it's easier to sell what you're going to do. Um, it is easier to sell patience. It's easier to sell, um, you know, D to D to the centerman going down low uh, to the winger to chip it in and go chase it. Uh, rather than, um, rather than, you know, with Matthew Barcel, everybody talks about the speed, um, you know, and, and he's a rush player. So he gets a lot of chances on the rush. He's, he's the second in the NHL in offensive zone possession time, five on five, just behind Connor McDavid, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, that tells you that he, he enters the zone with a lot of speed, with a lot of flash, with a lot of dash, gets the puck, holds on to the puck. And, you know, primarily they get chances when that happens. But I think as a team, as a five-man unit, I think it's, it's probably easier to sell simplicity and patience um, to your group. And, you know, I mean, I've often seen when a player like Matthew or, you know, any other top player, um, you know, goes down that for three or four games, the team can sustain that. But then after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off. But amazingly enough, the Minnesota Wild have done so without Kaprizov. And they've scored more goals per game. So why is that? He's the best player on that team by far. And he's not a selfish player. He's not an individual player. He's a real team player. But everybody's had to pick up the slack. And I think they've had to dig in a little bit harder when it comes to the the plan, the program, the system. And, you know, I mean, this time of year, people can talk about boring. They, they can talk about systems um, and maybe a lack of flair. I could care less. Yeah. I, I look at the New York Islanders and I say, do I want to play them in the first round? And the answer is no. I don't yeah. care what team it is because they're going to take a chunk out of you. Uh, and so uh, with Matthew Barzell or without Matthew Barzell, uh, you know, th- this is a team and this is what it's all about. So, um, so I'm not sure if that answers why they're having great success. I don't know. But all I see out there is it's not one player that's making a difference on the New York Islanders. It's absolutely everybody that's making a difference. You, you brought up that they're going to be a tough you know, tough opponent. They'll, they'll grind any team down, you know, mm-hmm. in the first round. How, looking at a bigger picture, how do you see the Eastern Conference breaking down in terms of who really has a chance of, of getting through? And I know once you get into the playoffs, really any team, you know, you saw it with the Blue Jackets against the Lightning a few years ago. 
But when, when, before we get to the playoffs, who are you really looking at in the Eastern Conference? Well, the the obvious is is the Boston Bruins. Now, let's let's take them aside. I think Andrew, because they're you know this is an, a historic season. So you know all all they can do is fail. I, I mean, at, at the end of the day, uh, you know what did everybody watch that 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 Tampa Bay series against uh, against Columbus? I, I believe I, I I did that series maybe on on radio uh, for whatever it was, but I was there for it, and I'm. After game one, it's like, oh, yeah, well, this will change. After game two, it's like, oh, boy, this will change. Go, you know, after game three, this will change. After game four, series is over. Thanks for coming. Yeah. So everybody's probably looking at Boston like, you know, whoa, will somebody knock them off? But this, this series that that I'm really looking forward to in the East, and I think a lot of people would, would agree, is Tampa Bay and Toronto. Yeah. I, mean, tr- I mean, let's face it. I mean, Toronto's got – they got 1967 written all over them. They made a lot of significant changes at the deadline. And we, we all know the story. Do they have enough to beat Tampa Bay or does Tampa Bay go to the well again and, and show the, the heart of a champion? And, uh, and, and is their motivation and is their carrot in their locker room? Is it good for Tampa Bay to play Toronto? Because you need a carrot. You need something to nibble on. And there's a lot of Ontario kids on that team. There's a lot of people that have heard about the Toronto Maple Leafs and how this is going to be the year and they're going to get over it. Yeah. And you can be sure that Tampa Bay is not going to let that happen very easily. <laughs> Do you have some concerns about the 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 Carolina Hurricanes going into the playoffs? And, and if so, it, well, because of Svet, because of um, Svechnikov, you know, is that is that an issue? Or do they play this way all year long from game one to now? And can they raise the level in the playoffs? Can they bring it up another level? Uh, that it's always it's always an interesting you know theory. I think a lot of teams when they're when they're first having the success of the Carolina Hurricanes or the way that they played, um, and and they hit the playoffs, that that's the they can't go to another level. But I think when you have experience of doing it and not having success, I I happen to think that you know Carolina again, if the goaltenders are healthy, um, that uh, that they're still just such a well-rounded, well-coached, well-schooled team that um, I don't think it's going to take a lot of prodding to get them to another level. Um, I think. Uh, I I think uh, I think old Seabiscuit can go around around the horn and one more time over there in Carolina. I enjoy watching them play. I enjoy the energy of of Ron yeah. Brindamore, and and I don't know like everybody else doesn't know. I'm not sure, but all I know is they've given us another heck of a regular season to watch because they're a great team. Yeah, I mean, if the Islanders do wind up facing the Hurricanes in the first round, I think that would be a a pretty entertaining and also a, a little yeah. bit of a chess match with the the yeah. way the two teams would approach each other. So. A chess match is right, Andrew. That's exactly right. A chess match. And yeah. uh, even the Washington Capitals game was a bit of a chess match. Washington playing a, a 1-3-1. Um, you know, then I saw a very passive 1-2-2 two, two, uh, through the neutral zone for the New York Islanders. And then, you know, then it's about holding on to pucks in the offensive zone and getting that one chance. And, you know, even the Washington Capitals, they had a couple of times where they had one chance from the slot. I believe might might have been a, a nicked out opportunity on a backhand play. And, and uh, But that's it. That's the one chance you get. Yeah. When you get the one chance, you better score on on that and get the lead. So you've, you've got to get the New York Islanders chasing you. If they get the lead, look out, they're going to strangle you. And that, the same thing would go for a good team uh, like Carolina. But, uh, yeah, that would be a very good systematic. Uh, it would probably bring up the speed of the New York Islanders as well. You have no you have no choice when you're playing the New York Islanders. They're not going to. You know, they're not going to sit back and, and play some passive game just because you're playing that. So whether that, you know, bites them or, or whether they concede in that, I'm not sure. But I do know that you're going to have to have plenty of patience playing against the New York Islanders. 
man. And just the last one, you had the, you know, it's a unique position calling a game between the glass. You get to see and hear so much more than you would up in the booth. But what was your take on how Lane runs the bench and the energy on the Islanders bench? And and did anything stand out to you as you were, you know, as you're next to the Islanders bench through that game? Yeah, no, I, I actually very calm. Um, I really liked, uh, I, I really liked the, you know, the, uh, the, the camaraderie was good. Uh, even when they were a little confused with the officials on a couple of calls, um, you know, there's, there's that intensity. And then I, I saw John McClain, he was sort of, I liked the way he was kind of talking to the linesman, you know, there's no B rating going on. There's almost a negotiation of a, of intensity and intimidation, if you, if you will. And then, and then there's a little smile and then the linesman kind of, you know, smiles in. Uh, I, I like the way they handled the, the In fact, the linesmen, uh, there's a couple of times where both teams weren't happy with the way that the face-offs were. And th- these are the things that I like at, at ice level is, uh, is the battle between, you know, the centerman, the linesman, how far the centerman goes up against the linesman, how, how hard you're going to push it because you still need that linesman in your corner at the end of the day, if he's dropping the puck on the other guy's side a little bit more. So um, I enjoyed that. Um, there was uh, the other thing is I look for spirit on the bench and uh, and certainly when you've got Clutterbuck and Sezikis and you know Maddie Martin that that's a line that you know every t- when they leave the ice they leave the ice and they try to leave a mark and then they try to you know they try to spread the 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 energy around to their own team and they're not afraid to give it I, I thought Fashion did the same thing early on in the game um, and so I, I don't know there's a lot of good give and take and I I, I found that there's good energy and good intensity on the bench um, and uh, you know especially. You know, the Washington had, listen, they're in desperation mode, you know, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they're, uh, they're on the other side of it, but uh, yet yeah, they, they did play hard and sort of the Islanders. So I liked everything about the way they managed it. it seemed like they were well-organized, no issues. I, I, the second period is the one where you really look for the changes by the D, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you don't want to be too many, you don't want to be a team that gets too many men on the ice an awful lot when it comes in the playoffs. And no, they seem like a, a real well-oiled machine there. I think Doug Huda did a, does a great job on running the D and has for a long time. And the other thing I looked over and I'm like, well, I played against all three of them, but it was like, <laughs> like there's, there's Johnny Mack, you know, a real seasoned pro and, and a guy that's been on the bench for a long time too, both head coach and an assistant. And, and then Lane played against Lane. I've known Lane for forever. And then, uh, and then you see Hoods as well. And, and, uh, and so I thought that's, that's a good group. That's a group you'd want to be with because it's an old school hot stove group. I can imagine the conversations they have after the game and having a nice cold beer and talking about the game. It'd be fun. fun yeah. No, all, all intense guys, but also, uh, you know, they, they can, they, they have a sense of humor to them too, that yeah. they don't show publicly, but I know that it's there. Hey, listen, uh, Darren, I, I really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, I know you got a game to call tonight, and uh, hopefully, uh, catch you around the rink again soon. Uh, as always, yeah, great, great catching up with you. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. I hopefully I'm uh, I'm in that New York area for the playoffs. I can see my little my little granddaughters there in New Jersey at the same time. That would be great. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with uh, Panger, Darren Pang of uh, TNT and NHL Network. And uh, I really appreciate him squeezing me in like that. Uh, He was calling, he flew right from Washington to Chicago to uh, call another game. So always on the run for these broadcasters. Uh, uh, And he did did a a fine job with Brendan Burke on the TNT broadcast uh, in Washington. So, from there, I, I thought I would mix it up a little bit because uh, 
haven't necessarily given my spin so much on the Islanders yet in this episode. Uh, I heard a lot from Darren Pang. Um, so before getting to uh, my chat with Kyle Palmieri, I thought we'd uh, we'd elevate Andrew's answers and get them uh, a little bit higher into the into the episode. So uh, without further ado, it's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. And we'll start with Michael Paul Smith, who says, You've mentioned in the past that Barry used to give answers to reporters that would make Lou cringe. What kind of answers make Lou cringe, and what competitive disadvantage does he perceive that they cause? Well, when I say he gave answers to reporters that would make Lou cringe, it was because uh, Barry uh, Barry would, would chat. You know, he was very comfortable in front of a microphone and his his pressers went on for a while. And, and sometimes he was, you know, honest about uh, things around the league. He, he never really gave up information on the Islanders. Uh, I mean, that would be what really made Lou cringe, uh, is giving away any information. As far as what competitive disadvantage does Lou per- perceive that they cause... Lou believes that any little edge, anything uh, that the other team can glean from what his coaches say, why give out that information? Why make it even an iota easier for anyone? Um, That's just the way uh, Lou has always believed. But it it just, you know, Barry, he was great for us in the media. Um, He would fill up our notebooks, but his pressers would go on for 15 minutes and, you know, and sometimes there were only three or four questions in those 15 minutes. And uh, when I say it made Lou cringe, it was just, uh, it was just too much. It it was too much talking, I I think, for Lou's liking. Um, He much prefers the, uh, the Lane Lambert taciturn, uh, you know, kind of shut it down uh, type of press conferences. Um, so that, that that's really what I'm talking about. And uh, now we have a, a bunch of questions uh, centered around Pierre Ingvall. So I'll just uh, read through them and then get to them. Matt, the Matt professional contrarian or not, says, uh, obviously nothing is uh, given for players coming to a new team system. How did Ingvall find the success he is experiencing? And has Bo Horvat found his groove? Jeff says, any sense of whether the organization is interested in re-signing Fashing or Ingvall? Uh, if yes, when, when do you think the re-signing will take place? Or at least when will it be revealed to the public? Isles Rule asks, Engvall has been outstanding. He is not only very fast, but he has scored a lot after a slow start. Uh, Lou wasted no time in signing Bo. Why has he not done the same with Engvall? And do you believe he will re-sign him to a long-term contract before he becomes an unrestricted free agent? And Kurt Green says, what's the number that it would take for Lou to re-sign Engvall? And, you know, it might be that question might be better asked the other way around. What number would it take for Ingvall to re-sign uh, with, with the Islanders? Maybe is the way you want to phrase it. But uh, uh, look, uh, when Pierre Ingvall came here and he, and he admitted it, it, it was, you know, first trade of his career, first time with the new team in the NHL. 
and uh, it, it just, he didn't really know anyone here, you know, he's Swedish, so, you know, there was a little bit with Sebastian Ajo and Simon Holmstrom, but really, he didn't come here, you know, with, it was a new room to him, and, you know, we, we can't forget that these are, are human beings, and it, it was just a little bit, I, I think, unsettling for him, and he, and he was trying to you know, really, the, the issue is that the Islanders play much different uh, from the Maple Leafs, who are always sort of looking to run and gun and stretch passes. And uh, the defensive system, as you heard Darren Pang talk about, you know, it's not the most complicated system, but it's strictly adhered to. And maybe that isn't necessarily the case uh, up in Toronto as much because they're looking to transition uh, all the time. So I, it was just, you know, it was uh, three or four games there where Pierre was, you know, kind of dipping his, his toes in the water, trying to figure it out. And uh, I, I think skating with Brock Nelson and Kyle Palmieri, who, while being very dangerous, play both play a, a relatively simple game. And I really think uh, pairing uh, uh, Engvall with those two really helped out because he could skate with those guys and they could get him the puck and uh, you've seen Engvall use his speed as of late and, and he is speedy um, you know he's not the most physical player um, he's not the hardest defensively um, but he, he does use his speed effectively uh, getting up ice so um now, has Bo Horvat found his groove? Well, last two games, he's netted an empty netter, uh, thanks to Casey Sezikas uh, recognizing the situation that it had been 11 games since Bo Horvat scored, and any way Bo Horvat could put the puck in the net would be important. So, uh, Casey, totally unselfish there. Um, I, I can't say that he has found his groove yet off an empty net goal and then a uh, shootout goal against the Capitals. Um, but, uh, you know, any little thing can help. And I think it'll be a big game for Bo against the Lightning to see really if, you know, just like I said, an empty netter and a shootout goal, uh, can, can sort of open the spigots as it was, because that's how it usually happens for players. They get that one and then they get another and another and another. And that's how it was for Bo earlier in the season. And I think, uh, him skating with Zach Parisi and Hudson Fashing, two very, very hardworking guys like Bo Horvat is, uh, they, they sort of share the same sensibilities. So maybe that can be a, a, a good trio there to get Bo going a little bit. Um, any sense of whether the in organization is interested in re-signing either Fashing or Engvall? I would say, yeah, you would want both back uh, for next season. Now, obviously, when will the re-signing take place? Look, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if both players or at least their agents sort of steer both towards seeing what the market will bear for them uh, coming off of these seasons. I've mentioned in the past, maybe the best thing for Hudson Fashing would be to come back to the Islanders now that he's had a little bit of NHL success. He, he fits in perfectly with this system. So sometimes the grass isn't greener, but it, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, those they, they, they do see what, what other teams think of them. Um, but I do think the Islanders would be interested in bringing back uh, both. Um, so Isles rule, Rules uh, is wondering, and Kurt Green is, um, uh, 
I first of all, I don't think Ingvall is going to be re-signed to a long-term deal before he becomes a UFA. As I just said, I think he might uh, try and get a sense of what he's worth out there, which does not preclude him coming back to the Islanders. Um, and what's the number that it would take for Lou to re-sign Ingvall? Well, look, he's at a on a one-year deal worth two point two five million. Uh, coming up on being an unrestricted free agent for the first time. Uh, you know, I, I think he's going to look uh, to get at least a three- or four-year deal. And if he's making 2.25 now, uh, I would think he would try and maybe up that closer to $3.5 million, uh, you know, over a four-year deal, something around those lines. Um, and we'll see if those are the kind of numbers that, that Lou would agree with. Um Thomas Carroll asks, is Josh Bailey still sick, uh, in quotes, or is it Lambert sick of Josh Bailey? And no, uh, Josh Bailey is not sick. He's been a healthy scratch now in six of seven games. And, and, and also the second part, Lambert is not sick of Josh Bailey. He's just, you know, sometimes as a coach, you, you make these decisions that it makes it look like you, you're not liking a player, but really, uh, he right now he he's determined that having Simon Holmstrom and and certainly Hudson Fashing in the lineup is is more conducive to winning. Um, Thomas Carroll said, "I think uh, Josh Bailey played well after a healthy scratch, but he's been out for a few now." And and yes, he has. And uh, I think it's going to take some slippage. It's really you know Hudson Fashing is a given now. It's really Simon Holmstrom or. Josh Bailey in the lineup, and look, you know, Simon skates hard the whole deal, but he's not creating any offense, and uh, uh, at a certain point, it would not surprise me uh, to see uh, Lane Lambert turn back to Josh Bailey. It, it wouldn't, um, uh, and that, that, you know, Simon Holmstrom just really hasn't shut that door yet. Um Mark Wells says, do you have any idea if Lou has signed a contract extension? And no, no, I don't. Uh, second part is, do you think he is back as the GM next season? And, uh, you know, if ownership wants him back, and I say that and now, now that it's looking like they're going to make the playoffs, I, I think ownership uh, will try and re-sign Lou. I, I think if they had missed the playoffs this season, that would have been an open question. But now I do think ownership uh, it, it would be interested in, in bringing Lou back. Look, Lou's given no indication that that he is at the end of his road. Uh, he's. I keep mentioning, I hope I'm in that kind of shape. I wish I was in the shape Lou is now. You know, while, while I'm in my 50s, Lou's 80. He's in great shape. And... You know, his mind is very sharp and, uh, uh, you know, he still has a passion for this. And whether you agree with him or you disagree with him, and there's a lot you can disagree with Lou over uh, from all walks, you know, from fans to uh, some of the stuff with the media, uh, you know, like not getting the schedule for the next day until very late at night sometimes, uh, you know. But I, I've seen no indication that Lou is ready to step away. The more likely scenario would be he would give up GM duties and try and get his son Chris uh, to become GM. But again, I, I, I don't necessarily see Lou at being a, at that point. 
quite yet. And, the, and that leads us into uh, Tehan Dank, who says, when Lou eventually retires, which I don't see happening soon, what are the chances Chris Lamarillo takes over? Well, I, I think they're good if the organization is in a good spot. But, you know, say the team backslides and, and misses the playoffs for a couple of years, you know, say the next two seasons are no good, then I think it would be a very tough sell um, to, to have Chris take over for his dad. Um, Adam Schechter says, do you believe the team has regained its pesky grinding identity these last few weeks? What has changed in the coaching message to the players or mentality of this team that they didn't have during the struggles of January? And yeah, no, this team is becoming a hard team to play again, against again. And, uh, look, we can talk about tweaks to the system and we did with Darren Pang, you heard his answer, uh, getting Adam Pellick back. And, and, and I'll add to that, also having Kyle Palmieri come back. Uh, you know, I know Adam is so uh, crucial to the defensive efforts, and, and I'm not minimizing that at all. But look, uh, especially with Matthew Barzell going out, the Islanders have really, really needed what Kyle Palmieri has been providing since he came back from that stretch of uh, missing 27 of 28. Uh, with the upper body injury. Um, so, you know, I, I think the real answer might be, uh, you know, Adam Pellick and Kyle Palmieri. Um, but, you know, as I wrote the other day, uh, Lane Lambert, you got to give him some credit for how he navigated through that awful January. Matt Martin was talking to me about, you know, they did some special team bonding stuff. As Matt said, anything to get some life into the room because it was looking bleak. And, uh, you know, they, they survived it. Uh, and I do think that's a credit to uh, Lane uh, as well. Um, Anthony P says, in a possible first-round matchup, who would the Islanders match up better against Carolina or New Jersey? And I'm going to say New Jersey um, you know, I, I, I think there's a path to beating both Carolina and New Jersey for the Islanders. I, I, I'm not necessarily guaranteeing they would win their first round matchup, but I could see how they could beat both teams. But of the two, I, I think because the Devils haven't been through that playoff run, and as you saw in that 5-1 win over the Devils, once the Islanders started playing that physically, uh, which is what the playoffs are all about. The, the Devils really didn't look like they knew how to respond. So uh, over a seven-game series, I, I, I think that could be exploited against the Devils. And St. James says, will Matthew Barzell be back for the playoffs? Is he skating yet? Um, as I speak, um, and the last update we had from Lane was on Wednesday night. No, he has not resumed skating yet. Uh you know, we'll, we'll see again uh, the next time the Islanders practice. Um, will he be back for the playoffs? Look, uh, Lane has, has repeated this where hopefully he's going to be back before the end of the regular season. Time is drawing short. Uh, you know, the f- we're going to be playing April 1 and 2, and that means, uh, you know, really 12, you know, less than two weeks towards the end of the regular season. So, uh you know, if, if Barzi isn't back on the ice, I would say in the next three, four days, I'm not so sure he's going to be back for the regular season. And then you just have to see when he did start skating and, uh, you know, whether he would be back for the, the playoffs. Really, I, I haven't seen him around the rink 
in, in a while. We've been on the road a lot. Um, I, I have no way of answering this because they're shielding it so well. Um, Brian G says, does Simeon Varlamov play a game this weekend? I, I think without... Well, before I say without doubt, the, the reason I think he will get a game is just because it's a 23-hour turnaround with a, with a flight late at night you know, from Tampa to Carolina. I don't know which way they would go, whether they would give Varlamov uh, the Tampa Bay game or, or the Carolina game. Um, but I, I expect to see him split. Um, the only reason I hesitate is because you got April 3rd, April 4th, April 5th without games. So, uh, you know, Sorokin could play back-to-back and then have those three days basically before playing another game. But uh, Sab says, are the Islanders in on any college free agents? I really haven't heard any whispers, but uh, you know, the Frozen Four is next weekend in Tampa, so... Uh, let me throw out a couple of names on Quinnipiac. Uh, they've got a right wing, Colin Graff. Um, now, he's a right-handed shooter. I, I believe he can play some center. Uh, that would be nice, right? Um, and I think he's the second leading scorer. Um, he's, he's done really well. Uh, I don't have the NCAA stats in front of me, but I think he's up there uh, amongst the leaders. And then uh, you have a defenseman, uh, Zach uh, Metza, uh, who's also a right-handed shooter. Um, he's a little bit older. He's 24, and maybe that could help, help a NHL transition a little bit better. The only thing with Zach is he's a little bit undersized. I think he's like 5'8", 190 or something like that. Um, you know, so a little, little bit small uh, for the NHL in terms of defensemen, but uh, maybe keep your eye on, on Graf and uh, Metza as the, as the Frozen Four concludes. And speaking of concluding, well, there's one from uh, Kim M. Isles Girl, what are your thoughts on Dobson's play? It feels like he's regressed. Maybe Char really was an influence. And look, there was no doubt that Zdeno Char was an influence, just as Dennis Seidenberg was an influence and Andy Green was an influence. And, and you know, Dennis Seidenberg is still around, but uh, Andy and, and Big Z no longer are. Yeah, uh, there, there's, there's been an issue with Noah Dobson's defensive play. I think offensively, he's still... Uh, you know, he's up there, and I, I talked before about how he's improved the, sort of this fake shot and being able to get it on someone's stick for a tip-in. Um, but defensively, he's looked out of sorts, and they've, they've tried him, you know, with Sebastian Ajo, and now he's playing with Samuel Bolduc. Um, and he's he's just been inconsistent, and yeah, I'll, I'll say... You know, the the main thing is he knows it. You know, we've spotted it. He knows it. So he knows what he needs to work on. But it may be something where he really needs to go to the drawing board in the offseason and figure out, you know, how to tighten that up if, if he wants to hit his ceiling to, to where we all think he can be. So uh, thank thank you all for your questions. And like I said, we're going to Finish it up here with a chat I had with Kyle Palmieri. We started talking about his game uh, after he came back from the from that upper body injury, and then we uh, sort of went in a couple of different directions after that. But Kyle, always a interesting guy to uh, chat with. Known him for a while, covered him while he was with the Devils. Always enjoy a, a few minutes at Kyle's stall. 
I know we've asked you a little bit, but like specifically, when you came back into the lineup, you know, what was, after being out that long, what, what's the mentality and how enjoyable has it been for you, you know, the stretch since? <coughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been good. Obviously, um, getting healthy was the first, first hurdle of that. Um, and going out there and being confident, uh, obviously, you take that long off, being, being away from the game and away from your teammates and, um, when it gets into the, the heat of the regular season and you're coming back from injury, a lot of times you're not, not a whole lot of practice days, so um, it's it's hard to get yourself prepared that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think for the most part, um, it, it was really just I was excited to be back. Um, it, it was a long road and kind of bumps along the way, but um, no, I, I think for for anything, it was it was just excited to be back. We were in a position where um, we kind of needed a little spark, and uh, that, that was my goal, was just trying to, to be that spark and, and use my the, the elements of my game that will help this team win. You know, obviously, we always tend to ask this question more when the goals aren't coming, you know, and players tend to say, well, as long as I'm getting my chances, everything's good. When you're on the other side of it and the chances are going in, does it really feel any different? Or uh, I mean, yeah, it, it feels way different when you're scoring than, than when you're not, but um, I think that is, that is key. Uh, I mean, there's phenomenal goalies in this league. Uh, even in practice, we have to play against two phenomenal goalies. So uh, when you're not seeing them going in a game, your chances are you're not seeing them going in a practice a lot either. Um, but yeah, I think the the quality of opportunities uh, it's it's one of those things that it's it's going to break for you eventually. Um, you just stay with it. You, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's it's really just going out there and. and getting those opportunities and, and making sure you're making the goalie make a good save. Sometimes you got to tip your cap, but um, other times maybe when you're gripping the stick a little tight, you're, you're trying to place it perfectly, and um, and sometimes when you do that, it takes an extra second to get off or, or finds a way to miss the net or get blocked or things like that. So, How, how have Brock and Pierre kind of played into the equation for you? They've been huge. I mean, you look at all the goals, and, and I think as a line, we, we create off each other, um, whether it's on the forecheck or off the rush. Uh, those are two big bodies that skate really, really well and, and protect the puck and, and obviously have a ton of offensive skill when it comes to the scoring situation. So um, I think right now we're, we're just trying to find pucks and, and be aggressive, bringing them to the net. I don't think you don't see us kind of setting it up and, and get into big cycles. A lot of times we... We want to get the puck back, and we want to find the open man and, and get it to that. And just, you know, I know you didn't cross paths in Jersey, but you, you've known Zach for a long time. Right? What what has he meant to this group? Not just you know for the 21 goals, but you know the way he supports everyone, you know, just the way he is in the room. Yeah, I mean his personality as a as a whole, it's it's contagious the way how much he loves the game and the passion he brings night in, night out. I mean, he's in a, a tough situation uh, moving away from his family and, and coming to the island, but uh, I think you come in and you see how much he enjoys the everyday part of being in the NHL and, and how hard he plays every night. It's it's contagious. You look at a guy who who's had that much success over 17, 18 years, whatever it's been for him in, in the NHL, and 
he comes in every day with a smile on his face and, and he's ready to work and, and that's uh, you can learn a lot from guys like that. Yeah, I know Josh is going through a little bit of a tough stretch of not being in the lineup, um, but you know, as an opponent, as a teammate, when you when you look at him, what, what do you see his legacy with the Islanders like? I mean, I, yeah, as an opponent playing against him um, and then getting to know him as a teammate, you always knew how smart of a hockey mind he had, his ability to read plays and, and read what was going on in the ice and and make the right play. And a lot of times it was a it was a great play. Um, it's hard to play against. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to run you over or, or do anything to to overpower it. But he just kind of outthinks everybody on the on the ice. And I mean, yeah, it, it's a tough stretch for him, but. I think when you, you look at it, over a thousand games for this franchise, uh, what he means to the fans and his community, and I, I think that's something that you can't really judge a guy by a stretch of 15, 20, whatever it is, games that um, maybe maybe he's not playing to to his abilities. And, and I think, I mean, we all know how it goes. You get down the stretch here uh, with, with an injury, he's he's a guy that we, we'd be confident in coming in and, and playing his game. And he's... He's a big part of our team, and um, whether or not he's in the lineup, it's maybe outside most of our control, but um, I think we're confident in him coming in and, and being the player he is. So thank you to Kyle Palmieri. Thank you to Darren Pang, uh, Panger, for all, the, for all the time he gave me, and thank you for your questions, and thank you for listening to episode 159 of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm Andrew Gross. If you wish, you can follow me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. You can find all of our Islanders content at newsday.com backslash aisles. And please, please, please check out Newsday TV on the newsday.com uh, homepage uh, streaming uh, news, basically, like you turn on the TV, and uh, I've been doing about one video uh, per week so far, uh, talking about the Islanders, so please check out Newsday TV, and until the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.